0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Arizona's News Roundup, the weekly podcast that gets you all caught up on the biggest stories in the state on your time from a Valley point of view. I'm your host, Taylor Kinnerup. Typically behind the board is Kate Orta, but today it's Jeremy Schnell. We are going to have a special edition of Arizona's News Roundup today looking at the life and legacy of Al McCoy. I know that kind of sounds as if he is no longer with us, but in some ways for a lot of Valley residents, if you're like me and you're from the Valley, it kind of feels like something has died for some of us. Um, Today joining me is the legendary Jeff Munn, KTAR anchor. KTAR anchor and all-around sports guy for the Valley and Arizona sports host and legend in his own right, Dave Burns. I have these two gentlemen joining me today because when I was thinking about Al McCoy's 51 years behind the mic For the Phoenix Suns, I really wanted to share the perspective of what it's like to grow up with him. And we kind of represent three ish, four ish, two ish generations, depending on how you want to break it down, of people who grew up with Al McCoy. Mm -hmm. So I want to start and just open up this question to you all. A week ago, when Al McCoy was behind the mic and seconds were ticking down in game six,
1: the final seconds will tick away. And Denver will come away with a huge victory to eliminate the Suns in the Western Conference semifinals.
0: What were your thoughts as the game was ending? Not about the team, but about Al. Uh,
2: I mean, I was listening. I was in the arena. I was in the building, and it was... God knows there was really nothing to watch with the game because they were down by 30 at the half, but um, I was reminded by somebody on social media, hey, tune in, this is it for Al. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So I pulled out my my buds, and I, I... got on the Arizona sports app and I listened to probably the last 10 minutes of him call the game and um I, I all I could think about was selfishly how fortunate I felt to be in the building and to literally be able to I was sitting in the auxiliary press box he was down in the main press box so we were quite a distance away from each other but I was able to watch him you know, from afar, kind of do his last call, then watch the people kind of congregate around him as he was doing his last call in the last 10 minutes. And just to be able to sit there and just like a sponge, soak it up one last time and listen to it at the same time
3: is probably something I'll never, ever forget as long as I live. For me, I was home, and the game itself, as disastrous as it was, became secondary. It was just Al's last broadcast, I didn't even think about the seasons over. It was Al. And it reminded me so much of the night of Johnny Carson's last Tonight Show. Uh, I sat and watched that by myself. And it almost felt like it was funereal in some respects. And as you said, he's not, he hadn't left us. But it had a feeling of finality. And that broadcast Thursday night, and I kept telling myself, nah, I'll be okay. And then about five minutes into it, I realized I'm not okay and it was really tough to listen to it and get through it and but in typical Al fashion he handled it with humility he didn't go overboard and did it with the grace he has always handled everything in his life i've heard the final call a few times now and there's that little crack
2: yeah. you know there's that little as he's signing off for the last time with about 10 seconds to go he's he's solid he's solid he's solid Ooh, you can hear it a little yeah. bit, and then he recovers, right? Like yeah. he, he's, total pro, it, total pro. Like there, there was an emotional component to it where I thought, is he gonna, you know,
1: is As he gonna break? That that pretty much wraps things up here, and uh, for one last time, this is Al McCoy saying thanks for being there, thanks for being with us tonight, and from the Footprint Center here in downtown Phoenix, we'll just say so long for now. Came right up to the edge
2: and then pulled it back in classic yeah. Alf action.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, you guys have grown up obviously longer with Al than I have, uh, which is not to say anything about either of your age. You're both so young. No, that's
2: okay. You can say it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: you can say it. Jeff's a lot older in- than I am.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Dave.
2: Nice to see you, too.
0: <laughs> but the thing for me is I don't necessarily feel like I have a first memory with Al because, for me, it's always been default. It's always been... That's who calls our games. That's who I heard on the radio with my dad. If you guys are thinking about it, do you have any first memories with Al, either on air or maybe even in person?
3: My first memories of Al was calling ASU football and basketball games in the mid-60s on the old cool radio, 960. And I said this to Broomhead last week. I think it's a tremendous tribute to Al that when he got the son's job, he had been doing the Phoenix Roadrunners hockey games for about four or five years. And my first thought was, What does a hockey guy know about basketball? (laughs) Al told me years later that he was learning hockey on the fly, that he had never done it. Wow. But he did it so well that you thought he'd been doing it for 100 years. And those are my first memories as a listener of Al. And then, you know, I, I have another set of memories from having worked for the Suns and indirectly working for Al as a vice president. So there's a treasure trove of memories for me in a lot of directions, but that first hearing him do ASU games.
0: Yeah, don't think we won't dive into those too, but yeah. I'm curious, do you have a first memory? Yeah,
3: I do, and it's... it's
2: I, I can't remember exactly where. It was in an apartment probably right around the time of my parents' divorce, sometime in the 70s or so, it, it, and it might have been before that. I can't exactly remember, but my first memory I distinctly remember... Taking a TV set, and it had the old rabbit ear antennas, and, and I was jimmying with the antennas to try to get, I believe it was KUTP channel 45 on the TV, which is where a lot of the games were, and figuring out that if I leaned the antenna up against the living room wall at just the right angle, I could get the clearest signal, and like, static, 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 ow, and I'm like, there it is. There it is. I've got it. And I, I'm like, okay, i got to wedge the antenna up against the wall in a way so that it will stay there so that I can – because all I want to do tonight is watch the Suns game. I think it was against the Portland Trail Blazers. I, I really can't remember what year. It was sometime in the 70s. And um, that, is, that is the first memory I have of desperately needing to watch Suns basketball and needing to have Al McCoy tell me about it for two and a half hours i don't remember a radio memory i don't remember the first time i heard him in the car but because this is back when he was simulcasting he was doing both at the same time but i do have a very distinct memory of that antenna that wall that tv set and just needing it to work in the worst kind of way because if it didn't i'd be deprived of al's company for two and a half hours
0: i kind of think that is a perfect metaphor for what al has been for a lot of people in the state when it comes to this sport Particularly this idea of kind of being the like the home signal, the base. I think a lot of us have a lot of respect and admiration for other announcers we've heard when people fill in.
2: Tell me you're from Arizona without telling me you're from Arizona.
0: Exactly. Right? Exactly. And I think what's cool and why I also wanted you two to join me today was because you have a, a very unique perspective of Al, not just growing up as fans, but also you've had the opportunity to work with him. So... I'd love to hear some of your insights to Al as a person, whether that was here with Arizona Sports, whether that was like Jeff with the Suns, just any memories that come to mind that people might not know.
2: Terribly nervous around him every time I'm around. <laughs> I mean, every time. I mean, The first time I met him would probably have been the first Barkley year, I think. Um, it would have been because I was at the time. I was the sports director for our campus TV station up at NAU, and they trade for Charles Barkley in the summer of 92, and my news director encouraged me to put in a credential request to go cover, we were in Flagstaff, to drive down from Flagstaff to cover Suns games. There was no practical reason to do it, it was just experience, (laughs) and I thought there's no way on earth the Suns are ever going to approve a a media credential request from a campus TV station at UTV in Flagstaff. (laughs) they did and because i was the sports director i went and i met you know it's like there's charles and there's kj and there's dan there's al
3: there's al <laughs>
2: it's al oh my god i just and then suddenly i was 7 year old dave again right and yeah. i was watching sons in my in my living room or mm-hmm. and and i mean even not so much now but i remember i spent the good first 15 years of my actual professional career being very Nervous around Al and being very like hypersensitive to. I remember one time I was doing a show, I was doing the show before the Suns pregame show, and he must have been listening to my show on his headphones while he was preparing to do his broadcast because I made some comments about Vancouver Grizzly basketball and how the NBA shouldn't be in Canada or it doesn't (laughs) work in Canada. And he made a comment to the board operator, like, what is this guy talking about? He doesn't know. And the board <laughs> operator re- relayed that story to me, and I thought, "Oh no, I've I've made Al mad." <laughs> I was so
0: mortified that I had made Al mad. Um, it's worse than when your mom's listening. I know, to right? You. Like, oh, oh no, my gosh.
2: I've upset Al. <laughs> sorry, Al. I didn't mean to. Basketball totally works in Vancouver, Al. I was so wrong. I'm sorry. That's that's yeah. That's what I think of.
3: I could tell you a story that I've not told publicly before, and it would probably, I guess if I told it, would add some value to this podcast. Oh,
0: yeah. Let's hear it.
3: And it's very personal. Um, Dave will remember that in uh, 2010, Al's wife uh, was ill, and he did not want to be on the East Coast if something had happened. So he basically wanted to take the East Coast road trips off. And he reached out to me, he and Rick Welts reached out to me and asked me if I would take that spot for him, which obviously I said, of course. And a couple of days after I agreed to it, Al and I used to go to lunch every so often at Cooperstown. And he called me. This is when I was still at the D-backs. He said, hey, let's let's go grab lunch. And usually we would just small talk about what's going on in the business, this or that. And he wanted to kind of go over the parameters. Okay, this is how this works in terms of, you know, the road trips, getting on the charter, don't miss the bus, that kind of <laughs> stuff. This was about a year after my marriage ended, and it was a very difficult and painful thing for me to talk about, even privately. And I had not discussed it with him, but he knew. And when we were all done kind of talking about the business side of it, he stopped and looked at me, and he talked to me in a very fatherly tone and said, you know, I think another good thing here is this will give you something to look forward to. And he took about the next 10 minutes and just told me about how to deal with things See, I'm getting emotional now. And he didn't speak to me as a broadcaster or as a mentor. He spoke to me in a fatherly tone. I mean, I've always had the highest regard for Al, but that took it to another level. And uh, there, there isn't a thing in the world that I wouldn't do for him. And a lot of it ties to that day. I mean, he, he put his arm around me and told me, it's going to be okay, and maybe this will help. And he was right. It did.
0: It did. Well, for anybody who is listening to this podcast now and has never seen either Al in person or Jeff in person, for me, somebody who has seen them both in person, I'm about 5'2", and Al and I are about the same height. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that might be being a little generous. The last time I saw him, I was in heels. Um, And Jeff is, I'm going to guess, over six foot. 6'2". 6'2". There we go. So... I think that is another perfect metaphor for the kind of person that Al is to all of us in the valley. Yes. A a gentle giant and not necessarily in stature but in in heart and in commitment and dedication to this valley, this state, the sport, but also especially to his listeners. Mm. Uh, And I think for a lot of people who followed Al in terms of the game, they might have been surprised to hear in his final broadcast a shout-out to what he called his, quote, sightless fans.
1: And I want to say something special to a special group of people. Through the years, I've become friends with so many sightless people. And you can't understand what radio and sports radio broadcasting means to these folks. And I've gotten to know so many sightless people that depend on our radio broadcasts.
0: Creating a world for people who didn't have one outside of his voice, who couldn't visualize the game without him. It was something he took really seriously. And I also have gotten the privilege to see him at different Special Olympics events, at different charity events and givings around the Valley. Can you guys speak to what it means to have someone be such an icon in the Valley in terms of just popularity, And then to always seem to find a way to bring it home for a bigger cause for the Valley.
3: Well, I've always instructed, I mentor students at the Cronkite School, and the subject of Al comes up from time to time. And the thing I always tell them is, look, there are certain things that you can learn from him about prepping for a game, uh, the stuff you do before you go on the air. Nobody can do what he does on the air. But I said the biggest thing that you can learn from Al is how to conduct yourself away from the arena. He's always been a gentleman. He's always cared about everybody around him, and he's the least important person in the equation. It's the same thing in reference to the sightless fans. He understands. He's a conduit. He's not the show. Uh, Tim Kempton said it best. All the things that he did on the air, Shazam, Swisheroo for Two, Heartbreak, those were meant to be little things that kept the listener engaged. What about him? It was about a way to keep the listener engaged and to let them know what was going on and because that's the kind of man he was. He was selfless, is selfless. I See, now I'm doing it. <laughs> and that's the way he's always been. It's always, you know, when a visiting team comes in, he goes and says hello to the other broadcaster, wants to know how they're doing. A lot of times he'll know about family, kids, everything okay, et cetera, et cetera. You ask any of the play-by-play guys in the NBA, big names like Kevin Harlan, names that you've never heard of, they'll all tell you the same thing. They get the warmest greeting from Al when they come to Phoenix. And that's the part, I saw a lot of that on Twitter the day after the game, that from NBA broadcasters saying that's what they'll miss. It was
2: nice to see him get his love in those last few days of his last few broadcasts whether it was the tnt broadcast pointing him out the espn broadcast pointing him out uh dave Pash, you know friend of the station tweeting out a photo of him and and al and hubie listening to jeff i was thinking about those catchphrases and i was thinking about how you know how we think at least my generation i think of like Dan Patrick on SportsCenter. I think of Keith Olbermann on SportsCenter. And I think about all the different catchphrases and things that they did that kind of hooked you in. Al was kind of the OG of that. At least for me, he was, right? Like, it was Shazam, Swisheroo for two, Heartbreak Hotel, you know.
1: And you can put this baby in the old icebox.
2: Zingo the strings. I mean, all of that stuff. He it was It was so memorable, so sticky, and it was never gimmicky. It was never artificial it was it, and it felt so genuine every time he did it that you just your heart would just kind of leap or skip a beat when he when he'd do it right Absolutely. um i mean sometimes you see it now and it's it's gimmicky to the point where sure. it kind of ran its course i think on sports center all the For cute sure. little catchphrasey things people say after or whatever without it, he, it felt like to me he was the the absolute OG when it came to the catchphrases and yet the passion behind the catchphrases is probably something as a broadcaster you try to emulate and just good luck man you're never <laughs> going to be able to match that ever ever
3: yeah and there's a value to what he did I, a great story is that um, during the 93 finals we, I don't know if they still broadcast games in Navajo Do the, does the Navajo station still come so, down
0: actually.
3: in 93 they were doing the playoffs the home games and I was told by uh, someone I know who lives up in northern Arizona that they were out on the reservation the day of Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And they're trying to listen to the Navajo broadcast, and the only way they knew what the Suns were doing, the announcer who was doing the game in Navajo, if the Suns made a three-pointer, the announcer would get a, a stop and go, Shazam! <laughs> and I can't think of a better tribute to al than that but the other thing is it, it i've never encountered a broadcaster a sports play-by-play announcer who did a better job of mixing information entertainment always letting you know the basics score time where's the ball um a guy that i don't think even you remember there was a sports talk show host in the, in phoenix radio in the late 70s a guy named john moynihan who at times would be critical of al because of the, the roof or two, Shazam hadn't come yet because the mm-hmm. three-pointer didn't come along. But he also said something I never forgot. He said, in the last two minutes of a close game, no one is better at describing what's going on no doubt. than Al McCoy. He was so good at it. He's he's He is the best. So good at it.
0: Yeah. And I know I started this way, but I also kind of want to come back to it. I think right now people forget because he's such a legend. Al McCoy is 90 years old. He has been in this career for decades, longer than almost anybody in the careers they do. Yeah,
2: I I mean, I I think about that a lot just because, I mean, here you are and we are of very, very different generations. Um, I, I think of, like, when I was a kid growing up, Tom Dillon... I think of Bill Denny on Channel 12. I think of Al as kind of like the yeah. the the Holy Trinity, if you will, of sportscasters <laughs> yeah. here in the Valley, like those three, and that Al was able to continue to do what he did. I mean, Bill Denny has long since left us, and Tom Dillon, rest in peace, has long since left us. But for Al to continue to endure generation after generation after generation. I mean, three very different aged yeah. people who are sitting here on this panel right now, and we're talking about one guy. It's it's uncommonly rare for something like that to happen. I, I mean, for him to not only have the gig that long, but to be so effective and so sticky that long, you know, mm-hmm. to continue to excel at what he does for so long. Um, it's It's a once-in-a-million kind of kind of deal. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that in our industry at all. It just doesn't.
0: Well, and not to mention, not only is, after 51 years, is that an unbelievable career, but the fact that he went out still on top, the fact that he chose to leave the game before the game kind of left him, I feel like no one was questioning his ability to do the game towards the end, and everyone still says he's the best to ever do it here in the Valley, So, or one of. But for him to kind of say goodbye and do it without the title that we've all sought for so long how do you think that sits with with fans how do you think that sits with al to know that he'll never kind of have the ring the same way that he had sh- he tried to
2: Jeff, you'd probably know better than i would how it sits with al I, I i think the fans it does not sit very well like that was that was especially when they got good again the last couple yeah. of years it, yeah. there was a real big win one for al win one for al I, I don't want to sit here and say as if I know him well enough to know how he feels about it. It
3: seems as if, on the
2: surface, he's quite at peace with it, but you might know better than I.
3: I know. I get the same impression that, that he's always been at peace with where the Suns were in the league hierarchy, how close they were, how far away they were from a championship. And that's the professional in the man. It doesn't ride on, I got to have a title. Yeah. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's it's just as never, yeah, he wants the team to win. And he would have loved to have called a championship. But does that mean that he didn't have the greatest run any NBA broadcasters ever had? No. You know, it, when you said going out on top, Dave will remember Chick Hearn, the legendary Lakers broadcaster, who died in 2002, never re- retired. He died at home after the, the Lakers won a championship. And Al and I talked on the phone that day, and he lamented the fact that Chick Hearn never got a chance to hear the applause. And at the time, I said to him, I said, Al, working probably bought him five years he didn't have, that a reason to get up and go to work every day. But I look at it now, and I'm glad that Al has had the opportunity to go out on his terms, to hear that applause. He would never make a big deal out of it, but Mm -hmm. I, I wanted him to hear it. And he got the chance to have people tell him how much he meant to them
2: and and while it didn't yield a title, I'm also very glad that that he at least went out when the team was remarkably relevant because there was a stretch there for about eight years where they were remarkably irrelevant and it, it broke all of our hearts to see what was happening um i would have I would have hated for it to end. Like that, you know, with a 22 win season, 25 win season. I, I know it didn't yield a championship, but I'm, I'm at least glad he went out when the Suns had, I think, rightfully reclaimed their spot as. Oh no, this we're is our town. This. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, this is this is our town,
3: right? Yeah, there was Al's first three years uh, as the voice of the Suns. The Suns were bad. And they played in front of next to nobody at the Coliseum. And at the in about midway through the third year, you started to hear some whispers that, oh, maybe this NBA thing in Phoenix isn't going to work. We might have to go elsewhere. I
0: wonder when we've heard that before.
3: Yeah, I was going to yeah, say it
0: sounds incredibly relevant. But
3: Jeez. the '76 Finals run turned it all around. And I've always said the team that gets there first to a market first has the city's heart. In Las Vegas, they're getting football. they have football, they got baseball, but there will always be a special place for the Golden Knights, the hockey team, because they got there first. Yep.
0: Yeah, and I think that's also just very true of Al. I think people will grow into this role. I am sure that there are great prospects for who will kind of fill those shoes.
2: I don't know who's going to fill it. I know that for the last couple of years for the road games, John Bloom, and he's a friend of mine, has done – I, I hope he gets the gig. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's been decided upon whether he's going to. He does a fantastic, Absolutely. fantastic Agreed. job.
3: Agreed. And he's a friend of mine, too. And he deserves the opportunity. He's been a loyal soldier for the club. He's been very respectful of Al. Very. Absolutely. And that's a difficult position. When you have personal aspirations, You know, you have to keep those in check. And he's done a magnificent job with it. And it's important going forward that the next person... I think be somebody the fans are familiar with and comfortable with. Well, it's bloom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. There's, there's nobody else that fills that. So I'm with you, Dave. I would be shocked uh, if he didn't get it. And I'm convinced he will.
2: Yeah. And he should. I was glad to hear Al shout out John Bloom yeah. a couple Absolutely. of times in, in the final article. couple minutes of that last broadcast. It was that, you know, just being a friend of John and and being kind of, you know, prejudiced, you know, in a good way towards John. I was glad to hear him get that shout out from Al. Well deserved.
0: Yeah. And I think as we go forward, Al will live kind of in this legendary status for generations oh, yeah. of Folks in the Valley, but also anybody who's loved the sport or loved the element of broadcast. He's going to be a teacher for generations to come.
3: He will. And I think the other thing that if, if John does get the job, and again, he should, he will not attempt to try to take the title Voice of the Phoenix Suns. That belongs to one guy. There were three guys before Al, and I'm one of the few people in town that remembers all three <laughs> of them. Bob Bache, Hot Rod Hunley, Joe McConnell. Who used to say good like a1 beer <laughs> but there's only one voice of the sons and and the rest of the people it's a little like when i was hired to be the pa announcer in 1991 there'd been a gentleman for a year but the guy i was replacing is a fellow named stan richards who was the best pa announcer i've ever heard in my life period the end and when i got the job the thing that I told people was, I'm not here to replace Stan Richards. I'm merely the caretaker of the chair that belongs to him. And I know Bloom will approach it the same way. Yeah.
0: We've said kind of all that can be said. Did you guys have any other thoughts you thought you'd share that you didn't or any any kind of memories or things you want to leave us with?
3: If I can just interject one Please. thing. I think what, what Al's retirement, I think, is also the close of a chapter in our industry. Broadcasting has become so specialized and I'm not saying that as a negative. It's, it's just the way the, the industry has uh, evolved. Al is the last or one of the last of the versatile broadcasters. He was a rock and roll disc jockey here in the early 60s. In fact, I don't know how much time we've got. When he was program director at KRUX, he used to take calls every week from a record promoter who was promoting. It wasn't Paola. He just said, I could play my, my guy's records. The guy's name was Dick Clark. You might remember him from New Year's City. Can you imagine a phone call between Al McCoy and Dick Clark?
0: <laughs>
3: he could do anything. he gave him news, business reports, put him up in a plane to do traffic. Al is is that class of versatile broadcaster. And the, and the industry has become so specialized that there really isn't a call for that anymore. So I think his retirement is actually a close of a chapter in our industry as well.
0: And I think that's why... I was so excited to do this podcast with you all because what really ties this all together is Al transcends news. He transcends sports. He transcends the industry or or just kindness in general. He really is this living legend. So I thank you both so much for joining me today to thank you. allow me thank to you. kind of take a dive into these treasure troves of memories that you have and, and really appreciate kind of the last of a, a dying breed in Al McCoy. So thank you both.
3: Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks.